And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. And today we continue with Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. A good question to ask is, which kind of blessing do I most want, material or spiritual? And now, with his message for today, is our pastor, Robert Elliott. So nine centuries before Christ... God thought the millennial kingdom was so important that he told his prophet Joel to write about it to the first readership of Joel, which was nine centuries before Christ was born. That's how important God sees the future kingdom, the kingdom for which Jesus taught us to pray in his model prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' future kingdom on earth, God's will will be done on earth like it's already being done in heaven. I'm looking forward to that. So turning our attention to Joel chapter 2, let me read the passage with you. Verses 28 to 32 of Joel chapter 2. It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors Whom the Lord calls. Let me go back and reread verse 28 only. It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit, capital S, that is the Holy Spirit, on all mankind. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Verse 28 is the first mention in the book of Joel of spiritual blessing. You can read all the way up to chapter 2, verse 28, starting at the beginning of Joel, and you will not see any mention of spiritual blessing at all. This verse is the first mention in the book of Joel of spiritual blessing. It is the first glimpse that the original readers of Joel's prophecy had of sunshine after the hurricane of God's judgment upon them. Do you remember the locusts? Do you remember the drought? Do you remember the fires? This is the first glimpse that Joel gave the original readers that there is a sun breaking on the horizon eventually. And the agricultural hurricane of judgment that they've been through has a future glimpse of spiritual blessing. This makes sense back then of the locust invasion. It makes sense that the locust invasion made necessary physical blessings like in verse 19 of the chapter, material prosperity In verse 20 of this chapter, national security and the restoration of the lost years in verse 25 of this chapter. Those things are material blessings that Joel was told by God to tell his contemporaries they were going to see after the judgment of the locusts. But verse 28 is precious because it says there's also going to be spiritual blessing. 
you know, spiritual blessings, whether you're alive on earth at the time of Joel or whether you're alive on earth at the time of Jesus or whether we're alive on earth at the current time, spiritual blessings are always to be welcomed by God's people. For the Lord Jesus himself taught us that it's folly for a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul. Mark 8, verse 36. So easy it is for me and you, perhaps, that we focus on what we need from the Lord materially. Daily bread, employment, health and strength for our children, and for our spouses and for ourselves. These are material blessings for which we trust Christ. But compared to the spiritual blessings of our salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, a new identity in Christ, a home prepared in heaven, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, a completed Bible, these are spiritual blessings. And we should always welcome them with gratitude and praise. And so the interesting question the man in the pulpit asks himself, and the question for you to ask yourselves is, which kind of blessing do I most desire? Material blessing or spiritual blessing? Material blessing without spiritual blessing is hollow. All the people who have faced material success without being saved, they asked when Rockefeller died, how much did he leave behind? And the answer was everything. He left everything behind. If a person has material blessing without the spiritual blessing of salvation, they have nothing. But on the contrary, brothers and sisters, if we have spiritual blessing and do not have material blessing, we have everything. We have everything. And so which blessing do we most want? I would submit, logically, we should most want spiritual blessings. So when you consider verse 28, you see that it's really predicting that in the millennial kingdom, every born-again Jewish believer will be Holy Spirit-saturated. Remember, Joel was writing to a strictly Jewish readership when he wrote, and he was led by the Spirit of God to use a lot of second-person plural pronouns. He used three yours in his prediction. For God, he's quoted God, speaking for God, he wrote this. God says, I will pour out my Spirit, capital S, on all mankind, and your, who? Your Jewish sons. And your Jewish daughters will prophesy. And your, that is your Jewish old men, will dream dreams. And your, that is your young Jewish men, will see visions. In the future millennial kingdom, believing Jews on Jesus Christ will be saturated in the Holy Spirit. And so when this comes, when this future ministry of the Holy Spirit in Christ's thousand-year kingdom on earth comes, believing Jews... In that kingdom, both men and women, both young and old, both masters and servants will be anointed by the Spirit of God for specific millennial kingdom ministries. That is all believing Jews, called all mankind in Joel 2.28, will be profoundly touched by the Spirit of God in Christ's coming kingdom. And by the way, the non-believing Gentile nations will receive God's wrath in the time which leads up to the beginning of the thousand-year reign of Christ. So stick with me here. The next event we're expecting, according to God's word, is the rapture and return of Christ. It could happen at any time. It's imminent. There's no biblical prophecy that needs to be completed before Christ can come in his rapture return. Rapture comes from a Latin verb, rapterio. It means to catch up. So the rapture return of Christ is he comes in earth's atmosphere, 
and in the twinkling of an eye, he resurrects the graves and the bodies of believers who died in Christ in the church age, and they, they are reunited with their souls and their spirits that came with Christ in the air, and that we who are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord will meet the Lord in the air. That's the rapture return of Christ. That's the next prophetic event that we understand the scripture teaches that we will be a part of. That means that some of us may not have to face physical death before we go to see Christ. After the rapture of the church, there are seven years of unprecedented wrath of God poured out on sin. You've heard the expression, people say, why, do, uh, why does God let so much sin go unjudged? Because he's waiting to pour out the intensity of his wrath for the tribulation. And if you want to read about the outpoured wrath of God in the seven years of tribulation that begins with the rapture of the church and ends with the second coming of Christ, you would read Revelation chapters 4 through 19. Devastation. The seven years of tribulation end with the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ is different than the rapture return of Christ in that in the rapture return, he only comes to earth's atmosphere. In the second coming, he lands his feet down on the Mount of Olives east of the old city of Jerusalem, and the mountain splits in two north to south. It splits in two north to south so he can walk into the ancient eastern gate of Jerusalem that currently is several feet below the surface and never has been opened because the only person that will open the ancient eastern gate of Jerusalem is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And he will enter the ancient gate, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He'll ascend to the Temple Mount where he will assume David's literal throne and rule and reign planet Earth for 1,000 righteous years. We call it the Millennial Kingdom. And way back then, God told Joel the prophet to look down the corridors of time to that future Millennial Kingdom of Jesus Christ on Earth and describe what would be happening in that future Kingdom. And what we're saying is that Joel was told that in the thousand-year kingdom of Christ, regenerate, redeemed believers in Jesus Christ who are Jewish will be saturated by the Holy Spirit for ministry to serve this King of Kings and Lord of Lords in the thousand-year kingdom. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good, one. This is Pastor Nicholas. And today we want to continue to look at what to do when it's over. When you go through the trial, when you go through the tribulation, when you go through whatever it is you're going through. The last week we looked at and we, we talked about the lepers and we, we stopped at verse 15 when the, leper said, when the leper turned to Jesus. Then one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back praising God with a loud voice in Luke chapter 17, verse 15. But it did not stop there with just a praising God with a loud voice. In verse 16 he continued and he, and he said, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Wow, what another bombshell. This isn't a Jew, this is a Samaritan. And as we know, the Jews and Samaritans did not have no relations with each other. They didn't like each other. But here this Samaritan recognizes that, hey, I need to give thanks for what he has done. Worship him. That's my response when I go through this trial, this tribulation. I've been healed I've been through it, and now, because I'm coming out of it, I'm going to just bow down and worship the king. Again, as we talked about, what is your response when you go through the trial? Do you, as this leper, when, you, when God has brought you through that trial and that tribulation, do you worship? But I love Jesus' response there, because 
Jesus doesn't allow himself to get, you know, his head to get swelled or to say, oh, well, you know, yeah, that was me. I did this. No, he said this. Then Jesus answered, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Here it is. Jesus makes it very clear. Look, thank you for coming and, and, and saying, hey, you know, praising me for what I have done. But wasn't it more of you guys that I healed? Again, as we consider that and, and we consider, you know, the question for us is where would we be? Would we be the one that praised God for, for what he had done? Or would we be the nine would just go about life like, hey, yeah, I was healed and thank you. And, you know, just go about doing our own thing without recognizing where the power came from, where, you know, the, the power that Christ has, has brought us through, through the trial and tribulation. You know, again, as we consider, we've had loved ones that have been in the hospital and, and you know, been through rough times and, you know, and we see them come out of the hospital and we, and we ask people to pray. And we are a very religious nation when we consider, you know, pray about this, pray about that. But the reality is some of us don't even have a relationship with God on a normal basis. But we always turn to prayer. You know, as you even look at um, today on TV and what the media, you know, when we go through a trial and tribulation, a big thing happens, it's as if, you know, we say we need to pray. You know, our prayers and thoughts are with you. But yet, you know, out of that mouth, you know, maybe a couple of minutes before that was things that would not be honoring to God. And I know that some people say, well, they don't say who they're praying to. But as we consider prayer and we pray to God and we're talking to God, we need to recognize that, you know, even him, he wants to hear, thank you. He wants us to come to him and worship him for what he has done. Verse 18 says, Was no one found to return and give praise to God except the foreigner? Again, Jesus is making that point to say, this is the foreigner. This isn't one of, you know, one of my, you know, Jews or this is a foreigner who has come here to say thank you, to praise me. You see, I think sometimes we, we sometimes think that we're not worthy and, you know, the reality is we're not worthy. None of us are worthy. But it's only the grace of God that we can come before God. But his word tells us that he intently lowers his ear to hear from us. He wants to hear from us. He wants us to talk to him. He wants us to communicate with him. He wants us to adore him and worship him. And I think that so many times in our lives, again, we forget the source of our power, the source of, of the grace, the source of whatever it is we've been brought out of. And verse 19 says, And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. You see, the faith of this leper made him well because he had faith that what Christ could do. As we, you know, started and we talked about in verse 13 as they were, they were screaming, Jesus, have mercy on us. It ends with, And he said to them, Rise. Read to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. You see, we have to understand that as we, as we close this, this series on, we talk through rough times, we need to understand that when we pray to God, we need to have faith. We need to have faith that He can bring us through. We need to have faith that He is walking with us. We need to have faith that He is always there with us. His Word promises that He will never leave us or forsake us. Whether the times are good times or bad times, He is always there. He never changes. He's not like us, where we, let's be honest with ourselves, when things are going good for us, you know, we're happy. 
But when things don't go the way we want, we get upset and we, we say things that we don't mean and we say things to people that we have to come back and apologize because we were going through a rough time. So I want to challenge you as we close this, this series on Jesus and tough times. I want to ask you a question. Can you think of a tough time that you've been through? You may be going through a tough time right now, and we've talked about how you need to talk to God. But for the individual that have have already gone through that tough time, and now things have changed, and now, you know, God has brought you through, what has been your response? Have you worshipped Him? Have you told Him thank you? Have you praised Him? Have you fell on your knees and just talked to Him and say, thank you for what you have done? Yes, God is good all the time. God is good. And I think that so many times we can just say that because that's what we've always heard. But we need to live that. We need to show Christ in our action. We need to show Christ in everything that we do. And again, I would challenge you, if you're going through a rough time, please feel free to call us here at at Calvary Bible Church at 242-326-0800. And you can talk to Pastor Nicholas. And we also have a Christian Counseling Center here as well that you can feel free to call if you need any um, help. You know, you're going through a time, you need some counsel. You know, we have biblical counselors here because we believe that the Word of God is the place to go to find true counsel. And we want to encourage you to go through looking at God's Word and, and to look at how we can change circumstance. We can't change circumstance, but we can look at how God's Word helps us and comforts us and, and helps us through different trials and tribulation. Again, this is Pastor Nicholas in the Midnight Edition of Utah. And now, today's ministry spotlight. Well, good morning. I'm pleased to be in the radio studio this morning with my sister in Christ, Lorraine Green. Good morning, Lorraine. Good morning, Pastor Rob. Lorraine uh, serves with Team Mission as a senior director for global ministry in the sub-Saharan of Africa. She lives in Pretoria, the capital city of South Africa, and she's been with us on our World Missions Conference, and what a a blessing that has been. Lorraine, I was hoping you could help our listeners today know about the Zion Church as it exists all across Southern Africa. The Zion Church uh, has an interesting history. There was a church about 100 miles, not even, north of Chicago named Zion from the town of Zion, Illinois. Hmm. And about 120 years ago, they sent a missionary couple to South Africa as missionaries. And they preached the gospel, but only for a period of about eight years. And then they were retracted back to Zion, Illinois, to serve as pastor of the church or some leadership role. I forget the details. And so they their, their gospel work, um, the eight years that they did spend in South Africa, left a fledgling church that they referred to, they called it the Zion Church. Mm-hmm. That church began to multiply and grow in an amazing way. Um, Obviously, the Spirit of God was in it, but because of lack of input from other sources, from other church and mission leaders, it, over the years, wandered off into what we call syncretism, where you have a blending of Christianity and the their African traditional religion, Mm -hmm. which basically boils down to ancestor worship and occultic practices. Mm -hmm. And so this church spread, partly facilitated because of the apartheid movement, the divisions within the social classes in South Africa, the 
poor, the uneducated, those who did not speak English, they spoke their tribal languages still, they were farm workers, they did not have access to education um, as, as they would today, and so they were marginalized, they were not, did not feel comfortable in the mainline denominations and even the evangelical denominations that were growing mm. in southern Africa. They were set apart. They were socially ostracized, mm. outside, marginalized. And yet, uh, because they were numerous, and because of the fact that it fit in conveniently with their ancestor worship, many embraced the idea of being uh, belonging to the Zion Church. Mm-hmm. About 20 or 30 years ago, a mission... Uh, person from Zion, Illinois, happened to be in South Africa and crossed paths with a man and with a black South African and talking together and found out that this uh, white fellow was from Zion, Illinois. Oh, he's the, the South African said, why, you are my brother. Were you? I too am a Zionist and our mother church is from Zion, Illinois. And that conversation sparked an interest in a renewing of the contact between the church in Zion, Illinois, and the Zionist church in South Africa. Mm. Come to find out that church had grown to such an extent that it represents about 20 million people spread all across southern um, Africa from Mozambique, Zimbabwe, Namibia, Angola, South Africa, Swaziland, Lesotho, Mm. all these countries have communities of Zion Church. And it's a very divided church, fractured, that doesn't have the unity of a a denominational head. Uh, Oftentimes the pastors are self-appointed prophets, Mm. they call themselves, gather a little gathering from their village or from their family, and teach a gospel of just whatever. A lot of it is just ancestor worship. And uh, some of the pastors not even knowing anything more of the gospel than to quote one verse Mm. um, over and over. And so there was a serious lack of understanding of the gospel or any knowledge of the Bible. But there was enough history to their experience that they remembered that the Bible is a sacred book, even if they did not know it, understand Mm. it themselves. That was the opening that we needed into that community. And so the missionaries now, uh, with a renewed sense of vision, returned, began working with the Zionists and um, integrating into their community, working within the community, rather than asking them to come out and look like a Baptist or look like an Anglican. Rather, we work within that community, leading them there, focusing on the leadership of the church, the pastors, the leaders of the churches, and teaching them, and it's been a tremendous movement, pastors coming to salvation. Praise the Lord. Hungry for the Word of God, coming by tens and even hundreds, coming together to study God's Word. Mm. We put together, um, we in a sister mission called Zima, Zion Evangelical Ministries of Africa, together we partner and put together these Zion Evangelical Bible Schools. And they, it's a mobile school, rather than building a campus where the students come to us, the teachers rather go to the students. Mm, So they travel around and they have a class once a month with homework to do in the meantime. And they, in a five-year program, they are studying God's word and hearing it for the first time. How exciting. Yes. And so um, 
we have wide open doors and opportunities. We train the nationals to, to multiply ourselves by training the nationals to teach in these programs to um, men who have come up out of the Zionist movement and are uh, trained now in Bible, are teaching their brothers and leading them to Christ. And, uh, and it's been a, a tremendous ministry. We, we need more workers. You can come as a second career missionary, work through translators, um, if necessary, if but uh, yeah, opportunities to teach God's word to a broad community that's hungry to hear the word of God. Fantastic. See what the Lord has done uh, to see how he can redeem even uh, doctrinal ignorance or confusion. Yes. And uh, I also think it speaks to the need of of those who bring the truth as found in the word of God, that they be, stay diligent with those that they originally lead to the Lord yes. and not to just assume everything's going to go along without some biblical uh, parameters. That underscores the importance of a long-term commitment. We talk a lot about short-term mis missions, but there is still a place for a, a career missionary who learn the language, integrate into the community, and teach God's word, building those relationships that are so important. Oh, I appreciate that final word on that very much, Sister Lorraine. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in what you are doing to bring back the, the Zion Church in Southern Africa to uh, its biblical roots and to uh, genuine personal salvation by the pastors and genuine personal salvation in the people of these churches. We pray that this wonderful um, return to truth uh, would be blessed of you in a, ma a magnificent way that you would get all of the honor and the glory, not just in Southern Africa, but in the whole wide world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m., in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, Everyone needs a savior.